0: Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me for freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips.
1: Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering
0: podcast. Future New York sports talk and long suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. I'm going to be joined just a bit by Martino Puccio from Sports Grid. We're going to preview the NBA Finals. That matchup begins tonight with the team, the Miami Heat, and the Los Angeles Lakers. A lot of storylines abound. We're going to talk to Martino about that in just a bit. NFL picks week number four. I had another good week. I went three and zero again on the picks. I'm going to be joined by my good friend Will Smith. Talk a little Cowboys football. Do some NFL picks there. Make sure you lock into the end of the podcast. We're not going to do pod calls this week, but we are going to bring in our legal correspondent, Phil Freyana. We're going to take a look ahead to the, what could be in the future of some of the winter sports. The NHL season has concluded. The Tampa Bay Lightning or Stanley Cup champions. The NBA Finals, obviously, are starting this week. MLB is in the playoffs. What's next for all those sports? Plus, college basketball is coming back. That's fun. We're going to talk about that a little bit with Phil at the end of the show. But up next, a very special opening tip. It's going be a, bit, a, bit of a long one, but stay with us. It's going to be some fun. We're going to have a debate. Obviously, this is debate season with the presidential election coming up. Our debate's nowhere near as important as the presidential election, but we're going to have some fun. We're going to debate a giant fan about which New York team is in the worst condition, football wise, right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for
2: this? The opening check.
0: Here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip on the podcast this week. Week three in the books, another disaster for New York football. The Giants got completely waxed by the 49ers C squad, 36 9 at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Daniel Jones, two key turnovers. Nick Mullins, 343 yards through the air. 49ers held the Giants to 66 yards, rushing on 15 carries. The Jets embarrassed yet again, losing an Indy 36-7. Sam Darnold, awful. completed 17-29, passes for 168 yards. One touchdown, which was probably the best play he made all season. Three interceptions. Two of them run back for touchdowns. Both teams are now 0-3, have the two worst point differentials in the league. The Jets have been outscored by 57 points the first three weeks of the year. The Giants have been outscored by 41. Today, we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to have a debate as to which New York football team is in worse shape and join me to represent the Giants, somebody from this podcast many times before. He's now the host of his own podcast. We'll plug that at the end of the segment here. Justin Diaz here. Justin, how are you?
2: Um, I'm well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is this is great. This is the most exciting part of New York football this you're talking about. It was worth, It's a really sad state of affairs.
0: Yeah, it is pretty pathetic. And since you and I cannot be, cannot be unbiased, because we each have a side in this argument, we decided to bring in a moderator here. Because this is debate season. The first presidential debate is tonight. And it's not going to be as important as that debate, but it is going to be a little bit more fun. Joining us today, a moderator, (laughs) mutual friend, Colt fan, Dan Martini. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Uh,
1: Happy to step in here and uh, moderate for the two of you. This should be fun.
0: Yeah, so here's how this is going to work right here. Dan's going to be our moderator Dan's going to run this segment here for the rest of the way. He's going to give us 60 seconds to each make our case to why each team is worse in the following areas, quarterback, overall roster, front office slash ownership, the head coach, and the long-term outlook. At the end of five rounds, Dan will let us know who he viewed as the winner of this debate. Without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Dan here. So Dan can start this portion of the of the podcast. Thank you, Mike.
1: Um, And for all of you listening, arguably this is the most competitive battle between the New York Giants and New York Jets all year. It is not going to take place on the gridiron, but instead between two of their most passionate fans. So with that being said, here we go. I'd like to start with uh, Justin. First question to you. Explain to us um, your overall feeling about Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold and why Daniel Jones. Is worse than Sam Darnold at this point. Your clock starts now.
2: Okay, this is uh, this one might be a little tricky. Daniel Jones is a better stat, but I'm going to say he turns the ball over literally twice a game. He shows some flashes, but nothing that makes you say, "Wow, this is the guy." If he fixes his turnover problem, what do you have? You have a pretty mobile mobile quarterback with a pretty good arm, but a oh, pretty good accuracy. So you basically have Alex Smith and Ryan Danhill. That's the upside. The downside. Is you have somebody who literally turns the ball over twice a game and he never fixes that. Sam Darnold, not even going to try and deny it, he's been awful. He's surrounded by a dumpster fire, as is Daniel Jones, but he does have the superior physical ability. He has a rocket of an arm, he has the same mobility. If you make me pick one with their upside, you got to go with Sam Darnold because neither of them have shown they're the guy. So you might as well go with the guy with more upside. And to me, that's unquestionably Sam Darnold.
1: Wow, pretty close to right to 60 seconds. Well done, Mr. Diaz. Same question to you, Mike. Tell us about San Darnold.
0: All right, the issue with San Darnold here is, as you knew when he came out of the draft, he was arguably the top-rated guy in that class, ahead of Baker Mayfield, ahead of Lamar Jackson, ahead of all of them. He has been squandered here by this coaching staff so badly that we've seen flashes of him making great plays like we saw on Sunday with that touchdown to Barrios. But he's still making the same mistakes he's making as a rookie. He's, he's not throwing the ball away. He's forcing balls into coverage. He's not making the right reads down the field. He has been so hamstrung by bad coaching. I don't think he's salivable at this point. And he's a year further in his career, so it's harder to undo the bad habits that have happened so far. Daniel Jones, for all his work, he has a better chance to succeed. He has a good supporting cast. He has coaching staff that can get him to work here. Jason Garrett's going to be a big help here because Jason Garrett helped develop Dak Prescott, helped develop Tony Romo. He's going to help Daniel Jones be a competent quarterback in the NFL. His upside, as Justin has said, might be eliminated, but... I have more faith the Giants would get something out of him. The Jets will out of Darnold. They've wasted the third pick on him with Adam Gase and Todd Bowles' coaching staff. It's not looking good there.
1: Well said. Okay, well, as you know, quarterback is arguably the most important position on the team, but the rest of these teams are not much to look at. So let's get into the overall roster portion of this debate. And, Justin, back to you here. Tell us about the Giants roster and why the Jets are better off. I'm just
2: going to focus on the Giants because it's really hard to pitch the Jets as a good roster. The Giants are not good at anything. They do not have a single strength across their roster. They have they do not rush the passer well. They have really their receivers are overlooked as a the problem. They have two slot receivers. One is over the hill. The other is always hurt and never makes a flash when he plays. Evan Ingram is just not good as much as Giants fans want him to be. Uh, their offensive line is still in shambles. Their secondary stinks fine, but other than Bradbury. Uh, their linebacking core is still mediocre. Blake Martinez is a tackling machine, as people have to say, that they overpaid and It doesn't really make an impact on the game. Bottom line is the Giants do not have a single strength. Their one strength, quote-unquote, is their, is their interior defensive line who is a bunch of fat guys that don't rush the passer either. Congrats, Adam, and brought us a bunch of run-stuffing uh, defensive tackles. We just Giants stink at literally every aspect of football. There's nothing you can point to on their roster and say, wow, that's what's going to carry this team to win. The roster is stinks.
1: Interesting to feel that way. I felt that there was still some a little bit of upside with Ingram and a couple of the pieces they have at wide out, and obviously the injuries to Saquon. But I can see how the defense has been so bad and just so hapless and confused out there why you would feel so strongly that way um, as a fan there. Uh, Mike, let's flip it to you. Tell us about the Jets.
0: Well, the Jets, this, mean, this the this roster has been so mismanaged over the years of bad drafting from Tannenbaum, John Idzik, and Mike McCagg, that Joe Douglas has so much work to do. His job got harder by Jamal Adams having a hissy fit and forcing his way out of town. The picks will help down the line, but right now, I don't think there's one guy on this team you would start on another team in the league. That includes the left tackle, Becton, who has a chance to be a very good one, but he's still a rookie. He's only played three games. They have nothing on the outside. I take all the giant skill position players over any of the Jet guys right now. They have nothing on defense. They can't generate a pass rush. They have not been able to for about 15 years, so they traded John Abraham away. They have nothing in the secondary. As Dan knows, half the Jet roster is ex-Colts, and none of these guys have been any good since they left Indianapolis. The Jets just literally are a bottom-tier roster in the NFL, and... You go on the field, you see they don't look like they belong in the same field as these teams they're playing against. I think that alone and the indictment of these games, the Giants at least have been competitive in two of the three outings. It's a fair point. They're,
1: and, you know, the Jets obviously have some talented, big names on their team and whether they've just been injured, not been able to work within the system, whatever that system is, or they opted out due to COVID, the Jets just can't seem to get it going in that right direction. So both of you make valid arguments.
2: Let's moderator. Right right
1: conversation right. I
2: just make one counterpoint. The Giants were not competitive. They did not almost win week one. That's a common misconception. (laughs) If you don't get blown out, that doesn't mean you are competitive. The Steelers were obviously going to win start to finish. Maybe in the first quarter, the the outcome is somewhat in question. The, The Giants were not competitive in that game. Week two, they almost beat the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, who then got benched. So people need to get over this misconception that they played hard and they were impressive. They stink. That's all
1: I need to say. It's a fair, fair, rebuttal, fair rebuttal, and I'm going to give Mike a rebuttal to one of your points later on to keep this as a fair debate. Moving That's on, fair. let's let's cover the people that are in charge of making these horrendous rosters right now and putting these teams in the terrible positions that they're in. Let's talk about the front office and ownership. So, Justin, here's your chance to talk about the, the Giants' ownership, which for the listeners out there don't know, Justin has had personal, written, communication with the Giants front office, which validates his fandom as a Giants fan. So you have literally written notes to their front office. Tell us about this team and what has bothered you.
2: Uh, I mean, I've been saying this since April 26th, 2018, the day they drafted Staphon Barkley. It was a complete disaster, that decision, and it's still haunting them. If you don't believe me, it's true. They could have drafted Quentin Nelson. They could have drafted Bradley Chubb. They could have traded down and gotten a huge haul of picks. Instead, they took a running back second overall. And this isn't even to say he got hurt. See, that proves it. No, you don't build around a running back. When there's so many mistakes, you can't dwell on So Let's go over them all quickly. They traded a draft pick for eight games of Leonard Williams. By the way, that was to the Jets. The Jets actually have the right mindset of acquiring picks when you stink, not trading them away. They traded a draft pick for Alec Ogletree, who's now out of the league, He stink. They traded Odell Beckham for Drill Peppers and Dexter Lawrence. They gave big money to a tackling machine in Blake Martinez. They signed an old slot receiver, big money when you already have a slot receiver. There is a fundamental lack of understanding about what you need to do to win in today's NFL in this front office. And until they completely overhaul the front office, it's not going to change. And they keep showing they don't understand how you build a roster in today's NFL. Very fair.
1: Uh, You know, honestly, looking at what the Giants have done, it has definitely made me scratch my head a few times to the point where I don't even necessarily want to talk about a Giants fan, my own father being a Giants fan, and I just feel uncomfortable with a lot of the decisions they're making. And it it starts at the top, and clearly that's affecting what's on the field. Mike, over to you. And boy, where do we start with Jets ownership? I'm curious to hear your rebuttal here. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'm going to first counter Justin on the Giants thing at one point. The problem is in one man, it's just Dave Gettleman, and Dave Gettleman is obviously an issue. I'm not going to deny he's a much worse GM than Joe Douglas is, but you have an owner who's resigned over several Super Bowl championships and has gotten you to another Super Bowl in the last three decades. I have not seen a Super Bowl since I've been a fan. They've not been to one in 50 years. So that's a big point in my favor. The other one is this owner has no clue what he's doing because the last time we hired people, we brought in consultants. We've hired consulting firms. We have no idea how to run football, yet... Our owner guy hoodwinked to thinking that the head coach is a great guy. He's a great offensive mine. He's been an absolute disaster. The roster in in inept because this is a team that had high draft picks. They've blown all of them. They've had tons of cast base. They've wasted it on guys like C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell. The one guy they drafted that was great. They couldn't maintain a relationship with him. He demanded his way out of here. They spent no, next to nothing this offseason. They line got better, but then they left Sam with no weapons. They left him with nothing on the outside. No chance to develop. No chance for Sam at all here.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, there's even more that you could possibly say. And, and you know, ever since, I feel like ever since the acquisition of Le'Veon Bell, it's just continued to be weird decision after bad decision. And I feel like more so, Mike, and and you can rebut me if you want, but more so than the players themselves, I think their coaching decisions over the past 15 years have been the most questionable part about the front office and ownership. So leading us into that, Um, let's really talk about those head coaches because ultimately their team or their plan and and they're being paid big money to get the most out of their players and clearly they are not doing so. So Justin, tell us about what you've seen in the short portion that we're getting here with Joe Judge.
2: This one is tough because exactly what I have expected to happen this season has happened. The team stinks. The record stinks. It reflects. It accurately reflect, reflects the talent on the roster. This roster is so devoid of talent that I, I really don't think you can fairly evaluate Joe Judge's three games of the season. But I have to say, there's nothing that has happened so far to say, "Wow, great job Joe Judge is doing." they were thoroughly outclassed by the 49ers. I don't even think JV team is fair description. That was their eighth grade team that was trying out for varsity because they, they the the varsity got hurt, the JV guys got hurt. So like, let's just try these eighth graders. And it got dominated by them. There's nothing scheme-wise that's been impressive by any stretch. So it's certainly too early to write them off. So I don't want to hear, they're playing hard, they're close. Again, as I said earlier, the Steelers game was not close. The Steelers easily beat them. The score just wasn't, wasn't a blowout. They almost beat the worst starting quarterback in the league, who then got pinched. And by the way, they lost. So you don't get a, a pat on the back for almost beating Mitch Trubisky. And in week three, as I just mentioned, they are completely embarrassed. So it is, I can't honestly sit here and say, yeah, this guy Joe judge clearly stinks, but he's done zero for me to say, yeah, this is the guy. If Giant fans wanted to sit there and say, wow, listen to this guy speak at a press conference. He's talking about being tough. He can say whatever the heck he wants at a press conference. You have to win games. You have to know what you're doing with the X's and O's. There's no reason, you don't know, but there's also no reason to be optimistic either.
1: Justin, follow up question to you you think that Joe Judge is eventually going to be blamed for the amount of losses? Because obviously Gettleman's got you know, the ability to, he's got a, a, you know, an ear, definitely has the ear of Mar- Mara still. So the question I have for you is, is Jason Garrett being groomed quietly in the background uh, to potentially be take over if Joe Judge continues to have losing seasons, regardless of whether or not it's Judge's fault?
2: No, I don't think that. I So I think anyone with two eyes can see that Gettleman just assembled a truly atrocious roster. And if this is his third coach, you can't let him choose a fourth one. I mean, it, if there, there, there's very little that can happen this season. I'm hoping and I'm, I would imagine that the team can do to keep Gettleman's job unless they go on some miraculous run, which clearly isn't going to happen. I'm still expecting two to four wins this season. I'd imagine Gettleman at the very latest to be fired after the year. I would hope it happens even sooner so they can get someone in to evaluate the mess that they have. But no, I don't think that's in the cards. I think maybe the new regime will be given the opportunity to to keep Judge. But that's really that's kind of that's a messy situation. You have a new front office and then and then you keep the coach. It, that's that's why it was so dumb to fire the coach and not the GM. You want those two things in, in connection. You don't want a, a GM to be forced to keep the old coach. It's, it's, it's a mess. I mean, everything the Giants have done since they decided to keep UI and build for now, it's been one bad decision compounded by the next. But to answer your question, no, I, I don't think that's the scenario. I, I think get them into Ghana uh, and the next front office is going to have to, it's going to be tough. But I, I think they're just going to go with the new coaching staff because Joe It's just Joe is Joe such an uncertainty
1: sense. And then, oh boy, here we go. Let's talk about Adam Gates, who, you know, it's really hard for me, Mike, because Peyton Manning has come out publicly. And you know how I feel about Peyton Manning. I basically look at, you know, you know, male figures in my life uh, that I've looked up to, you know, God, my father, and then basically Peyton Manning. So, you know, it's really hard for me Who, is, when Peyton has come out publicly saying that Adam Gates is a, a brilliant football mind and loved working with him and all these things, and I just don't see anything. Watching this game the past week, you know, even against the Colts, they did a couple nice things, but it was mostly just Sam Darnold's athleticism and everything else. What is this team that they're building for? It's so confusing. Explain to us what is up with Adam Gates and what is up just in general with head coaches from the Jets from the last decade.
0: All right, so I'm going to start off with this. The Joe Judge point, he's had three games, Justin. We, he could still be a train wreck. We don't know yet. We had four years of Adam Gase in Miami being a disaster, and the Jets still thought he was a great idea to hire him. Since he's come in, by the way, and Dan brought Peyton Manning, since he left the Broncos, his offenses have ranked 23rd, 17th, 28th, 26th, and 31st in the five years since he left Denver. He, it's never Gase's fault. It's always somebody else's fault as to why the offense doesn't work. He's hoodwinked the owner thinking that he's a brilliant mind when he really isn't. He's he's not a leader of men. These players have quit on him. The, the sad thing is if they win 7-6 on Thursday, the owner will probably keep him for the rest of the season just give him some justifiable faith making his decision. Adam Gase's teams, if you watch the offense, we could be more creative on offense. Half the odds either run into the A-gap or wide receiver screens, none of which work in this league. There, he gives up on the team all the time. He waves the white flag because it makes it look like it's not his fault. And the stat that I will go away with, and this is going to blow Joe, Joe, Joe out of the water, Adam Gase has lost 30 games in the NFL by double digits. 30. It's the same number of wins he has. He's lost 30 games by double digits. That's a big defeat for the Jets, who just can never seem to get the coach right. And I have no faith they'll get the next coach right either, as long as Christopher Johnson's is making the call. So Adam Gase wins this one running away.
1: Fair. I don't think you're going to get any argument back from me. Justin, do you have a rebuttal to that? I, I mean,
2: no, I, I can't even deny Adam Gates is a known quanti- He's a known bad coach. Uh, I, to me, Judge is, is an unknown and, and Gates We've seen plenty of evidence that he's bad. That was a terrible hire. I know I'm supposed to be like Max Kellerman and Stephen Smith and just lie about what I think, but <laughs> Adam Gase, he, he's, a, he's a bad coach. There's not too I don't money. think anybody uh, can argue
1: that point. All yeah. right. You're right. Well, that leads us to our, our last and final point here. Um, and let's talk about the long-term outlook of both teams here, and tell us you're each going to tell us basically your, you know, your outlook for this team, how long it's going to take for them get, to get back to a competitive level, competitive being even close to 500, uh, and and how many years and how much rebuilding, and tell us the steps that you would take um, to fix it. Go ahead, Justin.
2: The Giants' long-term outlook is absolutely terrible right now. One common mistake to make is, okay, this team sucks, so they're rebuilding. No, you need a front office that has a vision for the type of team they want to be, acquire the talent needed to implement that vision, and have a coaching staff that's going to execute that vision. What is Dave Gettleman in this front office's vision? Build an offense around a running back? A defense around James Bradbury and Boyce Martinez? There is no high-end talent across the board, and there's no clear path forward. The one thing that can make a long-term outlook lighter is a complete front office overhaul, people with a brand new vision, and an idea of how to win in today's NFL. Mike actually brought up her point earlier that I agree with. It's not just it's not. Well, so you, you were talking about the Jets saying it's the ownership in conjunction with the coach. The Giants, yes. If you want to argue the last 30 years, of course the Giants are better. They, they were very, very good for a very long time. Since their last Super Bowl, they've sunk. They want they have they made the playoffs once in a lucky year. That is the the past success is so far in the past, you can't point to that and say that's going to predict future success. That is the past. It's over. That would be like the Browns saying, Yeah, we won an NFL championship with Jim Brown. No, that it sounds extreme, but it's really not. The Giants haven't been good in eight years. They think this is who they are, this is what you expect them to be. Until they show you something, they give you some evidence to show that it's going to turn around. The Maras have this antiquated idea of what the Giants are this amazing franchise that you expect success. That's not the case anymore. They need a new front office, completely new, new ideas, modern ideas, not a dinosaur like Dave Gettleman with a stupid New England accent. I actually, I, I, it's hard for me to speak without getting furious about this. I actually hate him as a person. That's how bad it's gotten which is a little unfair. When I see him and hear him, I, I actually get angry. He's such an idiot, but it's not just him. It's this whole Giants front office. It's the Giants way. We run the ball. We're the Giants. No, you suck. We need a new front office. Until that happens, our outlook is as bad as it gets in the entire NFL.
1: It's kind of, it's kind of crazy because, you know, it's a tough situation here, right? If you look at what the, the Giants had so much success there, Uh, But you're right, it has been eight to ten years now since they've been a a respectable, really aggressive team on defense. And uh, yes, the Giants had the identity of being able to run the football, but they also had a lot of talent, uh, and they had good play calling, and they had good momentum and field position. And the only way to do that um, is obviously acquiring and filling in at the right place. It seems like the Band-Aid that they've been trying to patch on this team for so many years now, None of them seem to work out. And then with Gettleman drafting all these guys uh, that don't pan out as well, it, it just doesn't make for a, a, a positive. I don't know how you could see the Giants being a good team within five years unless they make the decision to cut ties to Gettleman now and they do find the right GM. So I definitely agree with you there. I think that they have set themselves up for a really tough spot here. As somebody with, that had a franchise quarterback that was wasted because of a bad GM, Ryan Um, I can tell you, you know, I feel for both of your franchises right now, having Darnold and Daniel Jones, because they're not going to get a fair crack um, without a good team around them. So Mike, flipping over to you, you know, tell us what your long-term outlook is for the Jets. We've obviously, you know, had some success in the franchise years, but for you as well, it's just been bad for a long time. And it seems like every time they get a little glimmer of hope, it just disappears again. Tell
0: us your outlook. Yeah, let me start with this. This team's been, quote-unquote, rebuilding since 2017. And they are four years into this rebuild, and they are no closer to winning than when they started. And you might look at this situation and say, okay, you have a GM who looks like he's a scouting guy, and everybody loved him, he's great. You have extra draft picks, you have cap room, this is great. But I don't trust this ownership to actually let him do his job effectively. They have this arcane structure where the GM and the coach are equals, and they both report to the owner, so... Joe Douglas may not even get to hire. I mean, Joe like uh Joe Douglas may not even get to hire the coach he wants. He may not sell with somebody else again because Christopher Johnson gets sold a bag of chips and thinks it's thinks it's a four course five course meal here. You have that situation here. There's so much talent that's not existing on this roster, and you have to trust them to hit the picks. Even when Douglas this year back then was a good pick, but he you drafted in the third round. He drafted a safety. He drafted back a quarterback when they have more clear needs to along the offensive line along the pass rush. He ignored those needs to get luxury picks, and you hope it works out in the long run, but until this is a situation again where they might be blowing up the quarterback next year. They might be taking Trevor Lawrence and trying to start over again, so that figures you've reset the clock again. The owner never has a playoff mandate. We never have to win here. It's just we're showing progress, and who knows if Adam Gase is going to completely ruin this game by winning 7-6 against Denver on Thursday and basically buying himself another week, another couple of weeks here to ruin the quarterback further. If you're blowing it up again, the, the outlook is at least five years out, even with all the casualties, because there's no talent here. It takes so long to just build up the depth on the roster and get the top-level top guys here.
1: It's a fair point. And, and I, I definitely think that the the Jets, from, uh, they have somewhat bigger names than the Giants, I guess, on their roster, who just haven't particularly panned out. But once again, it seems like it's taken the Jets so long to figure out the offensive line. And they've had so much talent on the defensive line with all these picks. And others, you know, they're just down to discipline and Williams. And it, it, so I'm always confused because the Jets, they bring in Jamal Adams and they've got all this talent and they just can't figure out how to keep it and build around it. So I don't know what's technically worse right now. If, you, if you've got the system and they, and, you know, obviously, I feel like for the Jets, they just haven't been able to figure out what they are. They've lost the complete identity because it starts at the top. So, tough debate here, guys. Um, I, I had points marked this way. Um, for argument towards uh, QB, uh, who's in, in the worst situation, I gave that point to Justin. Um, I think he made a better argument that Daniel Jones, uh, I think Sam Darnold is a guy who um, can, you can still build around. Daniel Jones is actually being... It's um, Dan- <laughs> kind of sad because, look, nobody's a winner in this situation. Sam Darnold, I feel like, uh, is so used to losing that if they even bring in a little bit more talent, uh, I feel like he might be better off to turn around. Daniel Jones, right now, his growth is being completely stunted by a a complete lack of leadership at the top. The point to Justin, overall roster definitely goes to Mike. Um, The Giants, I still feel like, have some serious pieces. Um, I love Evan Ingram. I think that they've got some spots. Uh, where I would be really happy with the, with the trio of wide receivers that they have, although they don't have a true number one. Um, the Jets just don't have anything. Um, and the, the, the amount of money that's paid to Le'Veon Bell is just insane for somebody that can't run the ball past the line of scrimmage. Um, front office and ownership, really tough one. Um, but honestly, I, because of the, the situation that we're in, i got to give that point to Justin. Um, I think Dave Gettleman is a destroyer of franchises. I feel like I think the biggest issue there, Mike, is that the Jets um, have tried very carefully and they know that they're bad. And the problem is the the front office of the Giants is that they don't think that they're bad. (laughs) I had to give the point. Uh, And and Mara, you know, know, says, "Stay, stay patient, stay patient. Well, you're letting a lot of young talent go now. If you commit to it, you got to build around it. The Jets just don't even have that yet. So um, I got to give the point there. Head coach, hands down goes to Mike. Uh, You know, Joe judge, there there was a no argument there. Adam Gates, just, he can't win anywhere. He's an offensive coordinator. He's a quarterback coach. Um, Nobody can take him seriously now. And I don't think anybody will really take a chance on him as a head coach ever again. So it's a real shame, but he's uh, you know he's just a he's just a wacko. Uh, that's all I can put it. Um, and long-term outlook to decide it all. Um, long-term outlook is really tough because I look at both teams and I think that if the Giants do make that change that Justin is talking about with Gettleman uh, and bringing somebody who doesn't on draft night have no monitors or screens in front of them except for a, like a million-year-old HP laptop and a bunch of papers. Um, you know, if they can modernize their operation with a with a better GM, then they can shorten the timeline. The Jets, on the other hand, you know, the if they fire Adam Gates right now, uh, or, or the next game that they get blown out, of, and they start to you know get a, a better opportunity with a with, and I'm willing to give their front office a little bit more time here, but it's still. I haven't seen any semblance of changing the overall tone of the Jets franchise. So when I look at long-term outlets, I think that the team that's in the worst scenario who argued is technically Mike. Um, But Mike, by you winning this debate, you're not actually a winner. It's actually that the Jets are more of a loser. So, So the winner of this debate is Mike. But the loser of the franchise scenario is the New York football Jets. Um, and that is how I have to rule on this one.
0: Yeah well I mean debate. I think this is definitely a, a fun debate. I will say obviously we are all except for Dan because he's not a jet or giant fan. We are all losers here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah
2: yeah. like I want, I would say like it basically one of us had our basement flooded and destroyed. And the other one had a tree fall through our roof, and we're arguing who has it worked. We're both screwed. Our lives suck right now, and there's no winners here. This is actually a lot of fun, though. I, to be honest, I think it's, I, I, it's very close to who has it worked, but at this debate, actually, I thought we both made great points, and this is a lot of fun. And Dan, great job moderating.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird spot to be in. I thought that I was going to be a third for it in this debate, that the Colts continue to lose after losing to the Jags opening week. But thankfully, uh, the world has righted itself a little bit and we figured out how to play some defense. So, um, But yeah, I, I definitely think it's a strange feeling that we don't have at least normally for growing up all of our lives. We've had one team be good and the other team not be bottom of the barrel, but but not be as competitive. Either the Jets had a few really good years. The Giants had a few really, really good years. Um, but to have both franchises, basically, if you're looking at the you know, the NFL and you're ranking, I mean, the Giants and Jets are tied to last uh, in the power rankings. I mean, there is no doubt. I mean, the Bengals, the Dolphins, uh, you know, there, there are teams out there that should, the Jags, that should not be better than the assets and the importance of having a New York football team uh, in, that, in those markets. And it's a real shame that we've gotten to this point in all of New York sports. But the teams there are just not any good. I guess everybody's got to become a Brooklyn Nets fan next season because that's, that's their only hope.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs. Um, nice. And we'll see. Both teams are in the tank. for. I mean, that's going to be interesting. If you're the Giants and Jets, you yeah. you have the number one pick. you take Trevor Lawrence. I think if either team has the number one pick, they'd be crazy not to. I will say that. What do, you think, Mike? do you really
1: think that you're already you're ready to give up on the eighth pick of Daniel? is it the eighth pick of Daniel Jones um, already? You know, you don't see enough that you think that he can he can be a franchise quarterback going forward.
2: I mean, the rest of the season is going to play a big part in determining that. But if he continues to turn the ball over twice a game and they go two and fourteen, I think there's not enough there to pass on a generational talent like Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion.
1: Let me ask you a couple rapid fires for both you, and then we'll wrap this up, just because now the debate is over. Justin, if somebody offers you the fifth pick and a late first-round pick um, for the first overall pick, are you taking Trevor Lawrence, or are you taking the two?
2: If, if, if again, yeah, if Daniel Jones... Yes, no, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. I'm pretty confident Danny Jones isn't going to turn it around enough to where I'm passing on Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance to be that next great guy. So, I'm, okay. I'm bypassing all aboard
1: the Trevor train. Uh Still, a same same question to you there. Yeah, uh, Are you ready to give up on Dan Darnold, or is Darnold not the problem?
0: To me, the way I look at it is if we got the 2-4 team, we have the number one pick. That means either Adam Gase is here the whole year and ruined the quarterback, or we fire Adam Gase and the quarterback didn't make any progress, so... You look at the timetable there, you figure you have to win the quarterback on his rookie contract. He's already got to be paid in two years, and the Jets are not going to win the next two years. So you might as well take the young quarterback. You have extra draft capital already, so you can just build around this quarterback on his rookie contract and take advantage of that. That's the way I would play it.
1: It's amazing. You've got two top-ten draft picks that from recent, relatively recent drafts, and that's how badly um, front office grew up when they're trying to build around young teams. I guess it's not as easy as we all think, but at the same time, maybe it should be a little easier than this, that you're already giving up on two top 10 quarterbacks. Um, and then uh, really, really finally, my, my last question for you both is, you know, uh, if, if Trevor Lawrence is not there, um, say for, for you guys, what's the next, So say you have the second pick. What's the position of need that you feel like? Say that say every position is available and there's, you know, a, a great player there. What is that position that you want them to take if you got the second pick?
2: To me it's a, a, if there's a stud pass rusher, that's a no brainer. They still have they have some okay guys. Maybe Lorenzo Carter's finally a guy that can have some of what of an impact, is clearly not a star. Uh, they, you need a star pass rusher. That's something you can build around on defense. That's number one. Honestly, there's N.A. Sewell, Sewell, I think is his name. He's apparently a stud tackle. I wouldn't be opposed to taking another tackle, even though they just took like Andrew Thomas. You can't go wrong in having two really good tackles. That's, how, that's a good way to build a really good offense. So Those would be my number two, my two top choices.
1: We see what Chase Young is doing for Washington, and we've seen what the Boses have done as, as high-tick there, kind of, and, and Chubb as well. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking the pass rusher there. It can change the, the momentum of your defense. Mike, same for you. Trevor Lawrence not there, not available. What do you think?
0: I think, obviously, pass rusher number one because you could use that. They always could look at the corner spot because they still need corners badly. And I think, underratedly, they could trade down and get a receiver for – at that point you still have Sandaro, he still needs weapons because Denzel Mims, we haven't seen him play yet. We don't know what he can be. Rashad Perriman is not a long term answer. You need weapons at the quarterback. So I this is a decently deep receiver crash again. So I think you've got to invest in receiver here too.
1: Yeah, makes sense. I, I don't understand if there's the possibility to pay or overpay for a, a, a clear number one wide receiver this off season. I feel like the Jets need to do it. I mean the Brandon Marshall experiment worked for a year. So you've got A, just I just I mean I like what NIMS could be. But once again, they need to get some serious veteran talent um to, to then draft young wide receivers as well. The Jets don't scare anyone on offense. So and the only way that Bell is ever gonna have room to run is if they if these teams don't stack the box. So it'll be really interesting. Um but this was fun. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I, I appreciate it. I think both of you guys make very good arguments for your teams and it's an unfortunate state for New York.
0: Yeah, no no problem, Dan. Thanks for being an honorable point. Also, Le'Veon Bell's not going to be here next year either, so that's another thing that's going to be a, a strike against the Jets. But are uh, you guys have a chance to plug your social medias. Justin, you want to talk tell about your podcast and what, how people can follow that?
2: Sure. I want to make one more quick point about the Giants. If any fan at any point says, well, we didn't have Saquon Barkley this year, as if it had some implication for excusing a terrible season? <laughs> you need to look in the mirror and punch yourself in the face for being so stupid. <laughs> If his roster is contingent on a running back being healthy, that is a severely flawed roster. And also, they would still sprinkle with Saquon Barkley. That's all I'm going to say about the Giants. Uh, I'm doing a podcast with my good friend from high school. his named Andy. He's an actor in L.A. It's called Paul Giamatti's School of Hard Knocks. It's a comedy podcast. It's very all over the place. Our good friend Dan, who's actually on with us right now, has actually been on the podcast. He's an avid listener. Mike, I believe you listen sometimes as well. We'd uh, love for you to listen. You can check us out on Instagram, at PG School of Hard Knocks. And Mike, thanks again for having me on. This was a blast as always.
0: Not a problem. I will also say that the podcast is very entertaining. I will also say, good job pulling the guy from Unsolved Mysteries. That was a fun episode. <laughs>
2: that guy was a, that, I I, can't, I don't even want to spoil it. It's, I highly recommend listening to that episode if you're into UFOs and aliens. He was a character. He was a lot of fun to have on. It was
0: definitely very interesting, and I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Mike. No And Dan, how okay can with you on social media?
1: I'm very I'm much more active on Twitter these days at Out of Town Fan Pod. Um, I am currently not running my podcast, but I am listening to uh, Paul Giamatti's School of Hard Knocks quite a bit, um, and a big fan of this most recent episode. So, um, obviously, I spend a lot of my time during the week listening to both the your podcasts. And um, you know it's a uh, it, it's, it's a fun time right now in sports, and I think that with everything that's going on in the world, with the debates tonight, a lot of people getting stressed and anxiety. Doing things like this definitely are a nice refresher. Um, watch watch the baseball playoffs. Watch the NBA finals. Um, root for LeBron or don't. Who cares? Uh, it should be fun. And uh, we're, you, know, you know, with everything that came out with the Titans and the Vikings today. Everybody, you know, hold your collective breath that we continue to get the football season because life has definitely gotten better uh, since sports have been back. So, um, you know, hopefully, uh, Mike, I guess I'll talk to you right around the Masters, which is coming up faster than you think, about in a month and a half. Um, The golf schedule is we're up and running all the way through the fall, even though we're not doing the traditional Asia swing of events. Um, Those events have been moved to the United States for the most part. So um, I'll have a big golf update for you guys uh, in mid-November right around the Masters, which will be played for the first time ever in November and again in March, along with the rest of our awesome PGA Tour schedule. So follow me on Twitter if you want to see what I'm retweeting about, uh, not just football and baseball and basketball, but also golf.
0: All right, sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Up next, we're going to actually talk about the NBA Finals. We're going to preview that series with Martina Puccio right after this. Mm-hmm. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way the dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J head Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Curtis Close. All right. We are back here getting ready to talk about the NBA finals on the podcast. The Los Angeles Lakers taking on the Miami heat starting tomorrow from day of recording Podcast will be out in time for this. Join me today. Somebody who I talked about the NBA with prior to the restart with our good mutual friend, Kevin Walsh, Martino Puccio is here. Martino, how are you?
3: Uh, not bad, Mike, you know, it's kind of sad. All the sports are kind of winding down now. Um, with uh NBA playoffs about to conclude, NHL is over with, and now we're in the heat of the MLB, MLB playoffs. So we really just it's going to be football heavy in a couple weeks here.
0: Yeah, and that's not a good thing for us New Yorkers because there's not much going on there.
3: No, yeah, football season's already over. <laughs> um God, I thank God I watch soccer. So I mean I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's really just gambling, fantasy football and soccer for me. Because uh, Until college basketball season. So that's uh, that's pretty much it Unfortunately
0: Yeah it definitely is And the NBA Finals the, the bubble did go pretty smoothly No positive tests in the bubble So what are your thoughts on the whole bubble experience Now we've got to see it play out
3: It um yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. The whole the whole idea with it in general was perfect. Inviting the few amount of teams, the eight regular season games was the perfect amount of exposure for all these teams to get in. Um we had some great storylines obviously with the Western Conference teams. Um you know, even some of the regular season games when the Nets came back uh to beat the Bucks, that was uh that was a great gambling game for a lot of people too. Um for people to get excited for for next year when Brooklyn has its returning superstars so overall the outlook was great um I mean look the the only thing that I had an issue with and it's really out of their control because it's give or take with this situation I think the courts were very dangerous it's really humid down there so they don't have the best air conditioning um filtration I guess so the court gets really slippery and it's one thing that stuck out to me as a negative, but everything else is great. You get your occasional idea to bringing girls in their room, people living, leaving bubble um, to go get food. Um, <laughs> all in all, there was everything that you could have wanted. and uh, Yeah, I thought it was a major success, and look, they got the Lakers, the Lakers are in the finals. got the Miami Heat team, and market-wise, it's perfect for the NBA. It, it wasn't you know the only disastrous thing i guess you could say if it was denver versus miami but lakers in any time is a huge win for them
0: yeah that's definitely interesting to see and i i will say the bubble thing was definitely a lot of fun i feel like the basketball itself was also so much better because the lack of travel helped keep everybody everybody's legs fresh you see i thought the games were much more interesting than normally would be
3: um yeah i think i think i think it was and the funny thing to me was just the no crowd effect and see how much it truly affects a lot of teams. Cause a lot of people would have said to you, there was no way the Raptors were the Celtics. If it was going to be game seven in Toronto, that kind of thing. Um, you know, like how, how much would have Denver benefited from playing um, at that altitude home, um, you know, silly stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there was no excuses for anybody because everyone was playing on the same court, um, you know, no travel whatsoever. And for the most part, everyone was happy too. There weren't any major three losses. If anything, it was just Philly, Boston to an extent. Um, it was, and and then obviously Milwaukee with Giannis, but even that playing great. So, yeah, I mean, in general, I think it was a major success.
0: Yeah, let's start with the Heat. The Heat obviously upset Milwaukee in the Conference Semifinals. They beat the Celtics in six to get to the NBA Finals. Tell me a little bit about what the Miami Heat did well to get here to the NBA Finals.
3: Um, I think it, this isn't something that just happened in the bubble. It's just a culmination of ever since LeBron left, and this is, and this is what I said to Kevin Walsh when they both officially. Matched up the Celtics and the Heat, you have two teams that benefited from not ten- ever. The Celtics, to an extent, yes, they barely missed the playoffs. They got right back into it after the Isaiah Thomas acquisition. Although they were the eighth team, they were still getting in there and they were facing up against those amazing Cavs teams. But how long did they truly miss the playoffs or, or build their roster to a construction point that they were going to miss the playoffs for significant years? Like the Sixers, even the Lakers did. Even though I think the Lakers really tried not to, they were so awful at constructing that roster that it kept missing. it On top of West, these two teams, or specifically Miami, that was talking about, they were always trying to add to their team. They never, they were always players in free agency, gave themselves a shot year after year. After. They never really added guys. Like Kelly Olinick's signings were good. Goran Dragic has been very good for a long time now. Um, you know, again, same thing with what happened with the Warriors. You don't have to get top five picks to be very successful in the NBA. Just look at all these stuff that broke out um, for them. You know, Jimmy Butler was never a highly, you know, a high draft pick. someone who took years to develop in Chicago. Kyler Heroes back in the lottery. Van Files back in the lottery. Um, Duncan Robinson was a guy who was trying to work for the Ringer right after college. Just found out. So it's an amazing scouting network, developmental um, uh, franchise. No, and again, this is something that I already knew. Ulstra, he's he's been a top three NBA forever now, and it's finally something that he he gets his respect and due for because. He's the only guy that ever survived LeBron and came out on the other side. Fantastic summit. And a lot of people like about the fact that they beat Mistco's playoffs. Wade got more injured. Josh had a derailed, um career ending injury. Um, not injury, per se, but uh, ailment. And you know what? They would have made the playoffs if that didn't happen to them. That's even an indictment on him. Just how unlucky they were. But now they came out of this. They only. Four games over the three rounds, and the teams that they played—you know—scrappy pace that a lot of people thought sort of given them you know, six games. Um, especially, I mean, they didn't bonus, but then they only lose one game to the Bucs, even if you was missing. The Bucks were praised and lauded—one of the best regular seasons, the Eastern Conference, in a long. And then you know they took care of business against the Celtics. They they came back and you know what—that was just their will at the end of the day. They made the shots when they needed to. Jimmy Butler didn't even play that great the whole series. It was just him in the in the clutch moments when they needed him to step up most, he did. And the leap that Bam Adebayo took was absolutely unbelievable. That we talk about Jamal Murray, Donovan, you know, guys like Tatum too, but Bam, you know, we saw during the regular season, but he took an even greater leap in the season because even if the matchup did favor him, he still took advantage of it and had one of the best uh, close out um, series games for the Heat since LeBron left so it's all stuff like that and you know what it's just it's just Pat Riley that's why he's one of the greatest basketball minds of all time and it's, it's not like that for a reason
0: yeah definitely interesting story how they got there the Lakers feel like you kind of knew we're going to be there and they they most took care of business they the Nuggets off in five knock off the Rockets in the conference semifinals Portland gave them a little bit of an issue but they also got by them quickly I feel like There's nothing really surprising we saw out the Lakers in the bubble.
3: No, there was nothing surprising at all. They have two top, whatever you want to talk Anthony Davis in a conversation. Like this was going to happen. I don't, a lot of people that are Lakers fans, huge LeBron fans are always going to point to, well, look at what this guy and and these people said in the media that the Lakers aren't going to be that good and they're not going to advance and they're yeah, but that's what they've always done. And if you listen to dummies, that's on you. So at the end of the day, and what we're going to look back on, with is revisionist history, um, and what we're going to do is they had Anthony Davis and LeBron James playing some of the best basketball there is. Obviously, LeBron doesn't age and doesn't get any worse. But Anthony Davis is entering his prime now. He's 27, and he was lauded as his generational big man um, when he came out of Kentucky. At the end of the day, like, when you have two top five NBA players, chances are they're probably going to make the finals and get there. The only real threat that I thought would be there would be the Clippers, and they were just an ultimate choke job. So even then, I I think the Lakers won the title over the Sixers prior to the season. But listen, if you somewhat consider LeBron James one of the two greatest players ever, which I think he is, then you can't be shocked by this. You cannot be shocked by it. This is the most wide-open the league has has been since he came into the league. How do you not, like, go against him? I locked in his MVP uh, immediately, the second that they were up. Like, it's just a guarantee at this point if you think and respect about, if you think and respect LeBron James as you should. Because at the end of the day, like Patrick Mahomes last night in Monday Night Football, if you're getting the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, you know, plus three and a half, you take it every time. When you get LeBron James at good odds to win a title and step up against a team that's not, no disrespect to the Heat, this isn't the Golden State Warriors having to plan. This is LeBron James with Anthony Davis. Like, they're going to win this finals. And the second you saw the Clippers have a major chink in their armor, it was a wrap. This, this has been a wrap. They... The, the role players are doing what they need to do to step up. And, you know, LeBron didn't even have to be his best of his best game in terms of scoring against the Knights. All he had to do was be the best point guard in the league. And he did that, and they won in five.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I do think there are a lot of interesting storylines as well. I think the biggest one for me is, like, I know this is a team remove, but LeBron facing off against the Heat after he left them like back in 50. I feel like there definitely are some fans down there who are still sore about that.
3: A lot of Miami fans that I know of, they there's a lot of them that kind of resent LeBron in a way. that The fact that, I don't know, they kind of took it personal that he would just get up and leave like that and they kind of rally around.
1: But if
3: you have the guts to say, it, you stay, quote. Um, and they rally around that. Because you know what? At the end of the day, if Pat Riley never leaves the next to go to the Miami Heat, LeBron never goes to the Heat. Dwayne Wade never gets drafted there. It's a, it's a full-on domino effect. But at the end of the day, LeBron LeBron kept them relevant after Dwayne Wade was clearly fading after that knee uh, injury that he had. So, you know what? I mean, it's kudos to them, but LeBron, I don't think LeBron has any disdain towards that franchise or or that fan base simply because, it, because it's not the cast. It's not Dan Gilbert if he has any resentment towards anywhere, it's clear because the guy left there twice. And at the end of the day, I think the Heat want to prove, because the Heat were kind of tossed in unfair realm where people, hate LeBron and rightfully so, that franchises struggle the second he leaves. And I think it whenever he leaves, that has a lot to do with how much teams depend on him. And it makes sense because he's the whole system. But the Heat got wildly affected because of what happened to them, unfortunately. And people kind of just wrote them off. They wrote off Spolstra in a sense. But this is a great franchise. This is one of the three or four best run franchises in the league. And when you point to cultures that stand out to you in the NBA, I mean, it's Toronto, it's Miami, even toss the Celtics in there. To the extent the Lakers, too, just because they're such a household name. You know, even though they, I thought they, stopped often in free agency, like this is you can't be shocked by this. Like if you follow this league closely enough, you can't be told. I'm not completely. Shocked. If anything, I'm more shocked about what happened with ball. The success that Miami has and their talent—it's not that shocking. To pay attention all season. They gave everybody a that They faced off against and the fact that they grew this much with the long break over a few months they got they got to see film they got to see what they were able to get better with um they were able to develop their guys and say hey you gotta get better in this fast game like you know how much that benefits the title hero like he was playing well during the regular season you know how much better he got just from the few what nobody had to work on and those eight games in the bubble like it was it was insurmountable the amount of, um experience that it that get that they gained from it and on top of just how coach because at the end of the day, coaches can only make a certain impact, but Eric bolster man this is I always say best coach in the league until he's gone, but Spolstra's too in my opinion. And he and he's always been that way and that's what is something I've always said outside of the Carlisles of the world as well. Like you have to give it to it's just they're unbelievable.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. And their big challenge right now is the Heat is you have to figure out a way to defend LeBron, James. I think they are well-equipped to do it. They have a rotating cast that can match up with him. What do you think they will do to try and defend LeBron?
3: I mean,
2: I think this is just
3: Jimmy Butler's got to go in the bell here. Um, I think in instances they're going to try and maybe switch on him as a versatile defender like Crowder to we'll get a look. There's going to be opportunities and chances that they'll go after this. Don't think that the zone will really do much. They're not gonna go towards that. They only really use the zone against the Celtics. They didn't use it against anyone else. And it's the Celtics, what, forever to just figure it out. But the zone isn't gonna work on. He's gonna get the penetration against that. And he'll just kick it out to some shooters or to pick and roll with Anthony Davis. The thing that, you know, that he just has to hope for is LeBron doesn't go for his legendary finals game. You just have to hope that LeBron gets around twenty five per game. You keep him under double digit bounds if he can. And you hope he just doesn't become the best point guard in the league. But at the end of the day this is LeBron James. He's on and to win a finals with three three different teams, get number four, this is his tenth finals. Like this is a legacy thing against MJ. And then just, you know, winning this championship after everything this whole league has gone through, the whole movement that's going on, and even the death of, of Kobe. It's just, you know, this is such a major legacy season for him. And it was always funny to me when he left Cleveland that he's like, oh, he's not going to win another. Right? Like, you have no idea who you're talking about if you're if you're saying stuff like that. This is LeBron James. And as good as the Heat are, they're not going to stop him. The only person that can stop LeBron James is himself. And it's just not going to happen. It's, the key thing is you got to hope Bam King can take Anthony Davis. Because then maybe they have a chance. But It's, it's just LeBron. No one's ever figured it out. And the only time he showed a change in his armor is series against Dallas in the fourth, And that's it. And that's never repeated since then. And that was nine years ago. So, I mean, good luck.
0: Yeah, good luck for sure. And what is one matchup do you think is intriguing to you in this series? Um, hmm. I personally think,
3: uh, I mean, this this one's kind of on the burners, but Caldwell Pope against the Duncan Robinson is going to be something to me um, as one of those, like, lower-tier matchups. But if you can prevent Duncan Robinson from going off and getting – uh, high volume three getting open looks, which KCP has the capability of doing so because he's been more than inadequate. I think that's huge, and obviously the main matchup, if you go outside of the stuff, uh, is what can Bam out of and Davis and vice versa. Can can AD AD's got to put in defensive player of the year performances against Bam, and Bam is a very is almost as versatile. He's obviously not good but he can do a lot of the things that Davis can do in terms of distributing the ball, having the soft touch around the rim and you know that 10 foot uh, range. AD's got to really shut him down. Like he can, he can't allow Bam to have the performance that he did in the series against the Celtics. I don't think he will, but they can contain Bam to the extent that he's not really the all NBA type player Bam, I would say. And, then it's, then it's a wrap. Like, this thing will be over in five, in my opinion. It's just they're,
2: just, they're just too good.
3: It's just, that's how good Anthony Davis and LeBron James are. Because the second Anthony Davis just figures it out on this stage of the NBA Finals, and, you know, just getting that confidence boost, boost hitting that game winner against the Nuggets, like, he gets it now. He knows what it takes. And the second a player realizes he gets over the hump, kind of like when LeBron was first, it's a wrap. Like the, the league has to just pray that they don't do it for that long.
0: Yeah. Let's, I think let's wrap this up. Here. Let's do some predictions here. I think personally, I think the heat can make it a series, but I do think the Lakers win in six. What's your, what's your take on it?
3: I was leaning Lakers and six to respect the heat. Um, and I don't think any way this goes to seven. Um, I think the Lakers in five or six, but I'm leaning six just out of respect to, the- and how well they've played, and they're really able to grind out games. But I think it only goes to six if Jimmy Butler plays at an all-NBA level. He really didn't play that great against the Celtics, and, and I know he showed up late in those games. He can't do that against the Lakers, because when it comes down to flex time, they're not beating the Lakers. All. Like, you can't do that. You could beat the Celtics, sure. You could beat the Bucks, sure. I'm not betting against LeBron during those games, and it looks like Anthony Davis has figured it out. So, I think I agree with you. At the most, it's going six, but I'm I wouldn't be surprised if Lakers get five in every series they played in.
0: Yep, very you have. We're, we're both going Lakers here, Martino Thanks a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to?
3: Yeah, you could just follow me at the show. um as usual. Um, hopefully, whenever this when stuff gets figured out with the with Mets, these, um, hopefully Manfred figures out the situation. There's gonna be a ton of free agents to talk for Because i 'Cause I'm gonna get so excited I've never been so that's off season since um, heading into the winter of two thousand five. So it's been years when they started like signing guys like Beltron and Wagner. I haven't been that excited. And um I don't know you could watch all the reports I do with Rob Carpenter and a former professor of uh gets updates, we should probably have one Friday. Hopefully, they lose because um, I can't prolong this this garbage, especially after you see what uh Eric the enemy play calling that you saw uh yesterday uh the Ravens. So, hopefully, there w- there could be some opportunity. For that. Um, everything else with the state of the podcast that to do, all a bunch of soccer stuff if you that, and yeah, and then whenever I read your your stuff when I'm on here or whenever uh we whatever interviews you have with people, especially I love all the T V and the movie stuff that uh have discuss
0: on here. All right, Martin check out all Martino's plugs. Thanks again. I really appreciate it, dude. Thank you. All right, up next, NFL Picks. Show me the money for week number four coming up right after this. Show me the money. Oh! all right we are back here show me the money nfl picks for week number four joining me today one of my one of my good friends a big diehard dallas cowboys fan the great will smith not the actor not the catcher on the dodgers not the reliever either that will this will smith will how are you
4: mike i'm good my man how are you
0: Doing pretty good. At least you have a real football team to watch. Mine is just straight trash.
4: Yeah, it's still painful to watch, though. Uh, losing games at the buzzer, basically. Still painful, but we are competitive, unlike your Jets, no offense. But, hey, Trevor Lawrence coming to New York.
0: Yeah, I think he is coming to New York. I had a debate with our good friend Justin Diaz earlier in the podcast talking about, like, which New York team is most screwed. And I was judged to win that debate because the Jets are clearly more screwed.
4: Yeah, if the Jets don't win Thursday against Denver, I really don't see them winning the game, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and the thing that worries me, not that they're not going to win, I'm worried they're going to win like 7-6, to six and then Adam Gase gets justified to keep his job for the rest of the season off of that one performance.
4: <laughs> Adam Gase should have been fired before the season started.
0: You're telling me, man. I mean, watching this game, they're just so bad. But enough about my team. Let's talk about your team. They had a interesting performance up in Seattle. They lose at the buzzer of the Seahawks. What, do you, what was your big takeaway from that game?
4: I look at it this way. As a big Dallas fan, yeah, obviously it sucks to lose. But if you look at it, you're missing two all-pro tackles, a left tackle and a right tackle. Zach Martin was playing right tackle. He's a guard. You midway through the third quarter, and you're playing practice squad players that weren't drafted. And Prescott's still throwing for 450 yards. I can't be mad losing by seven to probably one of the best teams in the NFC in Seattle, no less. Granted, fans are not. Um... But yeah, no, it was uh, it was a great game. Also secondaries hurt. We're missing both of our starting corners. Our safeties are very exposed, as you can tell. DK Metcalf running all over the field. Tyler Lockett, um, every touchdown he caught was wide open.
0: But yeah, yeah, I definitely could see the problems there for sure. And the other thing I think is interesting with this team is seeing how Mike McCarthy has done the first couple of weeks. I know you were a big get Jason Garrett out of here guy, and now you have Mike McCarthy. Do you like him yet or not? Uh Still
4: out there. It's uh, you know, the first couple of weeks it kind of looked like Jason Garrett was still there minus the clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so what
0: was the so what was the big issue with like what was the big issue you had with McCarthy for a couple of weeks?
4: I just feel like he was uh too aggressive. Um, the one game against the Rams, five minutes left on the eighteen yard line, kick the field goal, tie the game. Uh you get the ball back with less than two minutes left. You're going for the win, you're not going for the tie. So it's it, it just little things like that, especially week one when there's no uh, training camps, there's no preseason. Take the tie there and try to go for the win at the end.
0: Yeah, I, I did read something about last week against Atlanta, the game that they, you guys came back to win in. And it was especially the point at the, I think late in the third quarter, they went for two down nine instead of taking the one. And McCarthy basically explained, I I actually like this explanation. He said that the reason he went for the two is that he wanted to get himself more information to make decisions because the way he knows if he got the two, he would only be down one touchdown and be able to play that way. But if he's down two, he could run the offense more aggressively, to try and get down the field quicker. And that did end up working out for him in that sense.
4: Yeah, no, it totally worked out. I mean, obviously it worked out. We got an onside kick and then we scored the, the winning field goal. Um, but I, I would have, personally, I would have taken the one point there, knowing you're down just one possession instead of two. Um, how many times you get a I kick back? You know what I mean? So it was uh, kind of a tough decision to make. I would have taken the the one point there, and then if you lose because you can't get a two-point conversion, that's a different story.
0: Yeah, I think the way he was trying to phrase it, say, saying, hey, you know what, like, I know I can get the two. If I get miss the two now, I can just need a touchdown and a field goal. But whereas, like if I take my time, go down and miss the two, I lose the game automatically. So he's basically giving himself more time to score more points.
4: I, I totally understand what he's saying, but also, yeah. you get a touchdown and a field goal, you need the ball back twice. Instead of a touchdown and a two point version, you need one possession, and hopefully, you can get the two.
0: Yeah, it's also true that Alan also did themselves no favors there with like horrific clock magic down the stretch and not jumping on the onside kick.
4: Hey, two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row, Nick Foles this week, this past week.
0: Hey, I mean, I could be, like, I could be a worse. I mean, I, I had no expectation on the Jets going this year. I thought the Falcons were going to be good. That was that just isn't so bad.
4: Yeah, they also have some injury concerns as well. Julio Jones is in and uh, the hamstring problem. Uh, he's a big part of that offense. I mean, Calvin Ridley has been the best wide receiver in the NFL so far this year. But uh, not not having Julio's in game this year.
0: Yeah, and this week with Cowboys, though, they're back, on, they're back home again. They're hosting the Cleveland Browns. They are favoring this game. What do you think about this matchup?
4: Uh, I didn't take it in – oh, did I take it in my pick? Um, I, I look at it this way. Cowboy – I think the Cowboys are going to win by 7-10 to 10 in that game. I, I really don't think Baker Mayfield has taken that extra step. You have Odell. You have Jarvis. You have probably the two greatest running backs together in a backfield with him and Hunt, with Chubb and Hunt. Uh, but I, I think Dallas pulls out a uh, seven to 10 point win, probably like 38 30 or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think the way I look at that game is basically the Browns are going to decide how this game is played because they can control the tempo of the running game. They'll keep you guys off the field and they'll get a you know, closer game. But like if the Cowboys can shut down that running game, I think the Cowboys can run away with this game.
4: Yeah, no, I agree. And the next few games for the Cowboys are all winnable games. So. I'm not worried being in that worst division in the football.
0: Yeah, I mean that division is what is two nine and one, and the one one of the wins was a division win, so not a good start for the NFC East. Not at all. All right, let's go to the picks for this week. We'll reset the picks challenge. Our good friend Kevin Lillis is here. Last week, he says hello. By the way,
3: hey Kevin, how you been, man?
0: Yeah, I'll let him know you said hello, and he <clears throat> went, He had a perfect three and zero week on the picks last week. He had the Chiefs last night. Laying getting three and a half against the Ravens, they won that game blowing away. You had the Vikings getting two and a half against the Titans, they lost by one. You had the Steelers laying four, they won by seven against the Texans after falling behind early. So three and zero oh for Kevin on the week.
1: Yeah, that's a lot to live up to for me this week.
0: Yeah, I also went three and zero oh on the week, so I was I've had some good weeks going here. Yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah, I had the, last week. I took. I took the Colts, laying all those points against the Jets. That was a laugher. That it was. Yeah, I died that one. I had the our, had the Lions getting five and a half in Arizona. They won the game outright. And I had the Buccaneers laying six in Denver against the Broncos. They won that one going away, too. So, a perfect 3-0 oh there, too.
4: That's a great week for you, too, as well, folks. You and Kevin Rose, 3-0. Oh.
0: Yeah, the the pegs are perfect last week. On the year, team challengers is 8-1. and one. I'm also 8-1, and one, so if you want picks, this is the place to listen right now because we're, we're on fire on here.
4: Yep, so I hope I don't let the listeners down by going 0-3 this week.
0: Well, let's see what happens. Let's get to the picks right now. You're up first as the guest. Pick number one going your way. Where are you going with that one?
4: I'm going, and I you know I called it before. I'm going with my desk. It's minus 4.5 at home in Cleveland.
0: Any, what's the reasoning behind that pick besides what we said before? They just
4: they're home. Dallas plays well at home. It's a, a bounce back game after losing uh, last second interception. I think they win this game going away. Like I said, seven to ten points.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair call there. I would take Dallas too. And if it was up to me, I'm not using that game obviously. But where are you going to your next pick?
4: I am going to New Orleans. New Orleans favored by four and a half. I just think they have a bounce back as well. Uh, Drew Brees. I don't know if Michael Thomas is back yet but uh, I feel like that team is too good to lose two in a row, three in a row.
0: Yeah, that one scares me a bit. I know the Lions have been in every game. I know they blew two, but, like, the Saint defense has not been good. Kenny Galladay's back. I know And and Fantasy have a big week next week, but I just – that one scares me. I, I did not want to go near that game, but I can get the logic there by, by backing the team that's, that's more talented on paper.
4: Yeah, I, I just looked at it. The Lions are probably – I mean, you know, we've been about the letdown game after – maybe not maybe beating a team that you shouldn't have in Arizona and Arizona that they come out a little flat this week.
0: yeah it's certainly a fair argument let's go to your last pick where are you going to pick number three you
4: know I didn't do it I really didn't do it. but I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons plus that it can't get any worse for that team can it <laughs> they, they gotta at least cover that spread just don't be up 20 points in the fourth quarter and you'll be fine
0: yeah, and they're, that's on Monday night against the Packers, and I think it could be a letdown game for the Packers, that big game in there. Plus, Atlanta blows the lead. They still cover the spread if Green Bay comes back a win.
4: Exactly. That's why I took them.
0: That's like 4th each chest there, Will.
4: Yes, yeah, it is.
0: All right, I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to stick with the trend. You're going to pick against the Jets again. I'm going to take the Broncos, laying three points in MetLife against the Jets on Thursday. I mean, you know it's bad when you're coming in there with your backup quarterback, with your third-string quarterback, because now that Britt Ripon is starting, without plenty of your top running backs, without receiver, without plenty of line, you're still favored. This tells you how bad the Jets have been this year. They don't belong on the field with any other NFL team right now. Gase gets himself fired after this game. This is just not a good year for the Jets, and I think it's going to continue here. I think we're going to see Gase go by. Genper wins by at least a touchdown. Pick one.
4: Yeah, I'd just be uh that's you're looking at a nine three game right there. If you think about it, for those
0: two teams. Yeah, it's gonna be some ugly football on Thursday. I mean, my god, if you have unless unless you're a have like a death wish, I would not recommend watching this game.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of other things to do in life than watch that game.
0: Yeah, watch the M L B playoffs. Don't watch this. Exactly. All right. Pick number two for me, I'm going with I'm actually going with a dog here, a home dog. I'm taking the Chicago Bears, getting two and a half at home against the Indianapolis Colts. I'm a big believer in the switch to Nick Foles. I think he's got to unlock that offense. We saw what he did last week with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller and the like. And I think the Colts, I think they're a little overrated right now because this team has beaten up on the Jets, beaten on the Vikings, were combined 0-6, the one road game they went on the road to Jacksonville lost. The Bears have a good defense. The Bears, I think, are be better offensively with Foles in there. I'm getting points at home. Give me the Bears to win this game outright, pick two.
2: Yeah, that's a good pick.
4: He absolutely all know what Nick Foles can do when he comes in for somebody. So uh, that's a good pick. The Bears are rolling right now. They got a great defense. Uh, I take Nick Foles over Mitchell Trubisky any day of the week. So I think the Bears are going to be a team to be reckoned with in the uh, NFC. All
0: right, that's pick number two. Pick number three. I'm going back to Russell Wilson. Russ is going to cook down Miami this week. They're laying six and a half against the Dolphins. And this is a step down in weight class. For them they've get their defense has been shredded, but they've also played New England, Atlanta, and Dallas, where three great offenses. Miami has some weapons. Fitzpatrick can be dangerous, but their defense is not great. They are still adjusting to all new personnel. This is I'm getting under a touchdown with Seattle. I think they are win by at least seven points. So give me Seattle to go four and zero. Here go on the road. I know it's tricky at the one o'clock game on the Eastern time zone, but I think they can do it. Give me the Seahawks land the six and a half. Pick three. I
4: mean that's a good pick, but after last week, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like anything more than Ryan Fitzmatter just lighten up the Seahawks this week. I can't stand Russell Wilson after last week. He was playing against our practice squad defense. But he's a great quarterback, great pick. Uh, They should win by at least double
1: digits.
0: Yeah, to reset the picks, Will has gone with his Cowboys, laying 4.5 at home against the Cleveland Browns. He has gone with the Atlanta Falcons, getting 7 points in Green Bay on Monday night, see if they don't choke this game away or at least keep it close. He's gone with the Saints, laying 4.5 in Detroit against the Lions. I have gone with the Broncos on Thursday, laying 3 at MetLife against the hapless New York Jets. I have gone with the Chicago Bears getting two and a half at home against the Indianapolis Colts. And last but not least, I've gone with the Seattle Seahawks MVP candidate Russell Wilson laying six and a half in Miami against the Dolphins. And those are your picks for week number four on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Next week, new guest of the podcast on the pick segment, my good friend Chris, not the Mad Dog Russo. We are going to talk New York football next week, and I don't think we're going to have a win discussed next week, Will.
4: I really don't think so either. I don't think the Giants are going to L.A. and coming anywhere close to beating the Rams. And uh, to be honest, flip that coin on Thursday night. I know you're going with your, the Broncos over your Jets, but that Jets team is a uh, total disaster. And uh, it's a good thing for you. Gates, to be hiring a new quarterback at the beginning of next year. Hopefully things are looking up for the Jets.
0: Yeah, my one worry is like is that the owner loves Gays, and the owners defended Gays for so long. My concern, I've said before, is like, what happens if we squeak out a win? And then he's going to sit there and say, oh, it'll work. We'll keep Gase for longer. And then he'll just keep screwing up this quarterback. I
4: mean, you also have to look at it from the other perspective. Denver's coming on a short week to a – across the country. With They have their third man in there
0: now, don't they? Yeah, ripping starting.
4: Yeah, uh, and if they – in that game in New York, how I mean, how can you keep the guy? You haven't looked competitive in three weeks. You look competitive for eight minutes of the game on Sunday. So uh, I don't know how you can keep a guy who doesn't keep his team competitive.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it's the injuries, too, because, I mean, the, the Jet receiving core on Sunday, I don't think, could start in the XFL, let well, alone the NFL. But, like, we've seen San Francisco with got, like, basically half their team out just find ways to win games. The Jets don't even bother.
4: Yep. So I, I think the uh, Jets the Jets team as a whole is gone as well.
0: All right, well, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Before I let you go, any, anybody, any plugs you want to make for social media?
4: I uh, just uh, really have Instagram. It's uh, W underscore Smith 1144. I'm not a big uh, tweeter, as most people are. Um, but I post a lot of Cowboys stuff on Instagram, and uh, that's
0: really it. All right, well, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Anytime, man. All right, that was Will Smith with the NFL picks for week number four. Up next, I'm going to talk to our legal correspondent, Phil Freyetta. We're going to take a dive into the world of NLB, NBA, NHL, what comes next for them after these seasons wrap up, plus the return of college basketball right after this. All right, we are back here catching up on some news in the sports world. You got some storylines coming out. Mets sale, potential next season storylines for NBA, NHL, return to college basketball. Time to bring in the guy who helps you catch up on all these things, our legal correspondent, Phil Freida. Phil, welcome back. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Uh, How are you doing?
0: Doing pretty good. I'm happy to say since the last time we've talked, I feel that Major League Baseball has made it through the season. We did get to the postseason. Very happy about that.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if you were happy watching the Mets this year, but uh, but at least you got a season.
0: I did get a season. I'm getting a new owner, which I'll get to in a minute. But since I have you here, I will point put it out on the record on the podcast that we did the over unders before the season, and I did end up pulling out the win here on this one. This there are two we each have one on the ledger, It's still undecided. But as of right now, I'm three and two. You are one and four. So I've already clinched the victory in the over unders.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, we, like we said, they were going to be tough. Uh, one and four is bad, though. I'm not happy about that.
0: Yeah, the one you got was the Toronto Blue Jays over 27 and a half. That's incorrect. You still have a shot with the Brewers. they have to run the table here. The ones I got right, I had two unders, right? The Red Sox under 30 and a half. The Nationals under 33 and a half. I had the Twins over 34 and a half. Those are the ones I got correct.
2: Yeah, the, the one that I think I got the most wrong was the San Francisco Giants. I'm stunned that they're playing 500 ball.
0: The Marlins, too, also has been one that's also surpri- been surprising.
2: Yeah, well, this is this is why baseball can't be sixty games. Though uh, I, I, those are two teams that I don't think over a hundred and sixty-two game schedule would uh, would be competitive.
0: To be fair, also, if this is a normal five-team playoff, not eight, these teams would be afterthoughts. Yeah, that, that's true too. All right, let's go. Let's start with the baseball teams. We're ready here. Obviously, I'm a Met fan. I'm excited that Steve Cohen is getting the team. We, as I mentioned on the podcast last week, Sandy Alderson going to be the new president of baseball operations once Steve Cohen takes over. Right now, the only thing we're waiting on is approval from the other owners. You think that he's going to have any issues here? You think we're go- we're gotten so far down the road? It's a formality at this point.
2: I think it's a formality at this point. Uh, I've said that on your podcast before. I think that. The uh, all their owners know how important Steve Cohen is, how important it is to get the Mets back to relevancy and to acting like they're a New York team. Steve Cohen can do that. Uh, my understanding is that Jerry Reinsdorf of the White Sox has a problem with Steve Cohen uh, and brought it up in the past. But other than that, I, I can't imagine it. And I think he only needs, what, like 22 or 23 votes? He doesn't even need all.
0: No, he needs... Uh, 23 out of 30, and one of them comes from the Wilpon, so it's another 22.
2: Yeah, so I don't think it'll be a problem. Even if Reimsdorf holds out, uh, I think everybody else is going to vote yes uh, because they know that it's important to get the Mets. The Mets are a New York team, and it's time that they start acting like it. See, Cohen, is gonna, they're certainly going to act like it.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing that's important here to realize with this or, this organization that the Wilpons, the way they ran this franchise, okay, this is made with the SNY things, that this team is in so much debt and is so leveraged financially that you have a guy who's basically willing to wave a magic wand and fix all the problems. Where if you take the A Rod bid, they're gonna have to end up basically borrowing every last dollar to 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 buy the team. They have about five hundred million dollars of debt in their offer taken out, so it have been about a one point eight price on the market hand. And you have to worry about them being able to afford players that they had. So I think this is a no-brainer if you're a, if you're a baseball owner.
2: Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to end up like what happened with Derek Eater with the Marlins. So they they clean house, and they're running basically on no payroll until they can fix the financial situation. So uh, Cohen's the right guy for this. I think he's going to get approved with uh, without much of a up And I also think it helps that he uh, he's already committed to naming Sandy Alderson as team president. I think that helps sell uh, some of the other owners that, look, I'm, I'm bringing in a baseball guy. I'm not going to be, you know, the Mark Cuban or the Jerry Jones and try and do it by myself. I'm bringing in somebody who helps me doing
0: Yeah, I think Sandy also helps perspective because he's respected around the league and he'll also be a guy you can sell and say, hey, look, I'm not going to overspend. Sandy's not going to go throw every last dollar around. He'll be smart as might, but he's not going to go spend $150 million on every free agent that's out there.
2: Yeah, I think I think this is a formality. I think he's gonna get it, if not unanimous, then close to it.
0: Yeah, the other interesting part about this is that obviously this is something that's been expected but wasn't officially like announced, but rumors have come out the last couple of days that once the sale is approved and Cohen owns the Mets, he will have a thirty day window to purchase SNY. Right now the network is valued a billion dollars. And amazingly, eight hundred fifty million of that is debt. So it just goes to show you how much money the Ponds were shuffling around to try and keep the Mets profitable in some way, and failing miserably at it.
2: Yeah, that that surprised me how much debt was in SMY, but uh, SMY obviously has a lot of uh, a lot of potential. And if I were if I were Steve Cohen, I'd try and make that deal, uh, especially if he thinks he's going to be putting a competitive product out there on the field, then
0: SMY's ratings are going to go up. Yeah, because ob- as People are well aware of SNY. Obviously, the regional networks, they do well, and the team does well. SNY has a very good deal with the Mets for the rights. They don't pay a lot to the rights because obviously the sweetheart deal broke by the Wilpons. But this is a network that, like, if you get them like a winter team, if you get them like one of the hockey teams, if you can get like the Devils or the Islanders off of MSG Plus and bring them on there, your rights values also skyrocket.
2: Uh, yeah, definitely. I think the Islanders are a clear target uh, given how competitive they are. And I, I think that the guess network's probably happy about that. On the flip side, they're going to get the Brooklyn Mets next year with Kyrie and Durant, and that should help them for the uh, Yankee off season.
0: Yeah, let's go. It's a little more on the field now with the baseball. Obviously, we got through the season. I think we're we're a little bit surprised he made here, considering the rough start we had. But we do have the playoff bubble coming. Like after the wild card round, after they play those four three game series next week, then this week, and then they go to the bubble sites, down in Texas, down in California. What do you think about this playoff bubble that we have set up here?
2: Well, you know, I've said on the podcast that we both said that it was the only feasible way to do the playoffs, so I'm happy that they set it up. Uh, I was surprised when I saw Texas, but now I understand they're they're going to actually have some fans in the games for the uh, NLCS and the World Series that's the plane. So that's why they picked Texas. But uh, I think it makes it's the only feasible way to do it. Cause well, like we said, you can't have a situation where you're canceling playoff games, especially with this no off day playoff format. So, uh, the, bubble's the right way to do this. I'm, I'm glad that they got around and they did it with the bubble. And, uh, I just, I think we're going to have a champion.
0: Yeah, we are going to have a champion. The big story for me though, I think obviously we're going to have this thing where the little bit of money they get from whatever fans they allow in Texas is going to help a little bit, but like, I think when you get to the offseason, you get the free agency, Like I think the market is going to crater this year just because so many teams lost money. The Cubs alone basically said they lost $150, $200 million just on revenue from fans alone. So like you would think if you're free this winter, you're terrified about what kind of market you're going to be facing.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a free agent. Uh, I would see if I can get an extension, honestly. Uh, and, and I could see a situation where a lot of free agents sign those kind of short-term deals. So, uh, you to go back to the Yankees. Like I could see a guy like Tanaka coming back on a one or two year deal.
0: Yeah, I think the qualifying yeah. offer is also in play for a lot of guys too, because if you, somebody gives it to you, you might as well to sign it and hope that the economy improves by the time you hit the market again.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I see that too. So that makes, that makes sense to me. And, uh, and I think that, that probably influenced, uh, some of these guys who did sign extensions like Mookie Betts.
0: Yeah, I think also, I think the thing that's going to save some of these guys, like, obviously, a lot of players are going to say, you know, like, why don't you wait and see what happens to the Mets? See what Cohen wants to do when he gets in there. I don't I think it's going to help as much as the people think it will. I think it helps JT Brown move market because obviously he's a catcher. and He's not a catcher. It helps some of the starting pitchers. But it's not like Steve Cohen's be throwing around all of his weight the first year he gets the team.
2: No, and I mean, the Mets, it's not like the Mets don't have players. They have established players in a lot of positions. So, Yeah, you're right. They have an opening at catcher. They could use a third baseman, but they don't have a ton of openings. Uh, You're not going to, you know, they're not going to replace Alonzo, obviously. You're not going to replace Conforto, so Uh, I I don't think any free agent could say, well, Steve Cohen's going to pay me, so I'm okay.
0: Yeah, I also think it's interesting to see what happens to them next season. Obviously, next year is very important for them, because the last year before the CBA and We're still in limbo as a country with the coronavirus thing. Their vaccines are reportedly coming close to being through their phase three trials. And even once they get approved, it take a while to give it out to the public. MLB right now has basically said we're playing on a regular schedule next year, which is spring training in February. Season starts early April. I think it could be a while, though. I think... Maybe you'll start out like if the vaccine is being distributed, start out in some markets with capacity limits. Like, okay, you can have thirty percent of your fans at City Field on opening day, and then maybe by the end of the summer, you'll have full crowd. That's still they're still going to take a hit next season.
2: Yeah, so that, that's going to be interesting because they're going to be in a spot where, like you said, some states are going to let them, like Texas and Florida, they'll they'll have fans and most fans, but. Uh, not that the Florida baseball teams draw any fans anyway, but they'll be allowed to have fans at least. But other states like New York, I don't. I, if they are, it's going to be a very, very limited capacity. So I don't know how the league's going to work on that. Maybe they'll do some sort of a revenue sharing thing just for a year, where where they're going to share gate revenue. But uh, but uh, I, I think that they really have an interest in getting a full season in both the players union and the, and the league, especially given the upcoming CBA battle that we're going to have.
0: Yeah. I think getting the full season is one thing, but like you still going to have revenue losses in this case, because like, I don't, don't see California going full capacity until the vaccine safely distributed either. So like, that's like five teams you're looking at in just one state.
2: Yeah. there There's going to be some sort of a hit on the gate revenue, no doubt. Uh, but some revenue is better than no revenue. So. You know, they're going to do the best
0: they can. Yeah, this is true. And also, I want your take on you mentioned Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis down there, like, big fan, like, uh, you're a big fan of his. I know today we're recording this on Friday, September 25th. He announced that basically the whole state of Florida is open for business. Any business is open for whatever they want. There's no more fines for not wearing masks. It feels like this is a very stupid idea. This is something that you keep, keep an eye on, considering that you have a lot of college teams down there. You have, the Super Bowl going down there in February, any thought reaction to what DeSantis just did?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've said, said it before. I'll say it again. That guy, guy's a moron. Um, he is presiding over the state that is now leading in the daily death toll for COVID, but uh, just doesn't seem to care. I, I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know if he's trying to kill off the elderly population, but, uh, but whatever he's trying to do, it's, it, to me, it's stupid. And, and what you left out there was uh, he not only lifted all these restrictions, he restricted the ability of the local governments to even regulate it themselves. So so what, what had been happening in Florida, and I think part of the reason why it isn't, wasn't a complete nightmare, was that even if DeSantis wasn't doing anything about it, Miami-Dade County was and Lee County was and so on and so forth. Now, they're not even allowed, The uh, subject to very strict restrictions. So uh, I don't know what he's doing. I I, I imagine the NFL's happy about it because if they can get a regular Super Bowl with Super Bowl week and all that, that that's, that's good for them. But uh, it, it seems irresponsible.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, I know we don't usually go down this road. This I feel like it's definitely a political move to try and help out, like, the campaign down there, try and help the president get reelected and say, oh, look, as far as back to normal, the virus is going down. But, like, in terms of, like, a business sense, like, is this something you think in NF I know all three NFL teams down there have the ability directly to host fans. Do you think this would be something where, you know, like, say, the Dolphins say, oh, we can just up our capacity now. I think they'll just stick with what they already have planned. I
2: think they're going to hop. I think they're definitely enough because I think that those owners want people in the stands. So I I wouldn't be surprised if you have full Dolphin games within the next couple of weeks. Uh, And same thing with University of Miami games and Florida State games and so on and so forth. I think that's what's what's coming. uh, And uh, I'm not happy about it, but. That's, that's what it is. On uh, the political thing, I know that's not really the point here, but I actually think it's going to backfire. I, 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 Trump is not doing too well with uh, when you look at polls of senior citizens uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, you know They're obviously scared for their own health. Uh, I don't think that Trump's right-hand man, DeSantis, basically sacrificing them for the good of the restaurant industry is going to help Trump do uh, too much in that state.
0: Yeah, we'll leave the political stuff to the side for now. Let's go to some of the other sports I wanted to talk about here. NBA, the NHL, they're coming down the pipe. They're wrapping up their seasons right now. The NHL is going to be done by the time this drops, most likely. NBA will be having another week or two out. And they both right now have talked about delaying the season next year, but they want to play a full 82-game slate. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think they have to delay because these players just – they're not used to – having this little time to recover and prepare for the next season uh, so you know normally uh, NBA season would end in June and then they've got July, August, September before they really have to start ramping it up again so they got a couple months to kind of get their bodies back in shape that's, that's not going to be the case now so they have to delay uh, so I, I don't think they really have a choice but to do that so my thoughts are they're doing the right thing
0: yeah, my thing is more the delay obviously has to happen, but the full 82, I think, is a stretch just based on the timing that these seasons start, especially like the, N- the NHL has said late December, early January. NBA said maybe as late as Martin Luther King days, they want to try and get the fans in the buildings. But like, I don't know how you're doing that and protecting player health if you're going to be because you're going to need a lot of back to so backs. You want to try and get have this thing not go until next September again.
2: Now you're probably going to end up in a spot if you do that where you're going to have a lot of those rest days for the stars. But, you know. Maintenance days. LeBron's, yeah, maintenance days. LeBron's maybe only going to play 80% of the games in a given week, uh, things like that. But but I understand what they're trying to do and why they're trying to get the full season in. It's just it is going to be tough.
0: I, I think it's going to be tough. I think also, nothing you have to worry about right now is obviously the bubble ain't happening during the regular season. We've heard that the NHL players have said, you know, like, we would not do a bubble for the full regular season. It's just too much. It's too long. for People to be away from their families, and we've seen MLB had issues with it. the NFL. Seems to have gotten their act together a bit. Do you think these two leagues have figured out enough from the what they've seen from the other guys going on, saying, "Hey, like, if we set our schedule up in January, and even if we don't have the fans, we'll still travel pretty much like or like from city to city and not be worried about like hubbing up here, here or there."
2: Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was demonstrated that this is the, uh, it, it's feasible. Uh, I think that baseball showed that it's feasible to do this if you have the adequate testing and you put the restrictions in place and people actually follow them, it's feasible. So uh, I, I, that's exactly what I think they're going to do. But the one thing that I will say is what we haven't really seen yet, and I guess we're going to start to see it with the NFL, is baseball had that very limited travel. Nobody was going cross country. I don't know how that's going to impact things.
0: Yeah, the travel is definitely a concern. Also, one thing Pete Considori brought up last week when we were talking about this a little bit and, the ho- and we're talking hockey is, like, right now the U.S.-Canada Canada border is still open. I think that's a big problem, especially in the NHL when you have seven Canadian teams. It's like you need to be able to have the border over the NHL, especially the start of the season. The NBA, you could see, okay, we'll plop the Raptors somewhere and just go from there. But, like, it's h- kind of hard to do that with seven Canadian teams.
2: Yeah, uh, the NHL, if they don't have the Canadian border, I don't know how they're going to play. Uh, it's just, they're just not going to be able to the NBA, easy enough You saw what baseball did You just take the Raptors You throw them on Buffalo And you're good to go But uh, I don't know what the NHL will do I think they'll have to Postpone or cancel the season
0: The NHL One theory I've heard I think it's interesting Is like Maybe for one year they sort of do like a geographically based schedule, except like they basically have a division of Canadian teams only, where the seven Canadian teams only play each other. So that's something they could do to buy themselves some time until the until the border opens. if They wait.
2: If the Canadian government lets them do it, I don't know if the Canadian government's even allowing that kind of thing. They're they have far more restrictions than we do with, uh, with respect
0: to COVID. And then in terms of like and like the, the teams within Canada yeah. just traveling and playing to each other, not going across the U.S. border.
2: No, I understand that. I'm just I'm not even sure if that the Canadian government would allow that. I don't I'm not just unsure completely. I, I don't know what Canada's kind of restrictions are with sports being played in the country at all.
0: Yeah, that that's going be a mess. And obviously it all depends on our numbers going down for the board to be open. But one other thing the NHL has specifically an issue is like the winter classic, as Pete pointed out last week, like This is something like I know it's a big deal for the TV to get like the big outdoor game to start the calendar year, but like I don't know how you do this if you can only have like 10% of the people in the building. It's not really the same thing. I could see them just saying, sorry, Metasaur, we'll push this back a a couple of years so you guys can all bring the people there.
2: Probably, although I mean, the fact it's outdoors, I guess, is better than being indoors just in general, but I think that's right. I think they may push it kind of like baseball. Have the wherewithal to push that field of dreams game. Just doesn't make sense to play that game without the fans. Same thing with the winter class.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see them doing something smaller on an outdoor scale for television, but maybe like it's not because it's something where you could, the whole idea is like, okay, there's 80,000 people in the building to watch this game. It doesn't have the same feel if there's 13,000 people spaced out wearing masks.
2: Yeah, so uh, I think that's right. Maybe they'll do something just for TV, but I think they'll. The actual classic a year I think
0: that's probably the right thing to do Yeah the NHL also has Some other issues here Pete pointed out last week The expansion draft next year They're having Seattle join the league Following next season So it's tough I think something the NHL realistic thing about with the shorter season Is like can we really go our full length And then expect this expansion team To draft its roster And then put our season together In like three months I don't think that's fair That that group
2: No it's not but what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, some of this is just not uh, – we're not living in a perfect world. I think that's the best way to put it. So as I, I think that it's basically, look, Seattle, you want to you want to get in this league and start playing, then well, this we really can't do anything else for you. This is what, what we have to do. So uh, I know it's tough, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I also think the other thing these leagues need to consider, especially, like, next summer, like I think it's worth it for them to consider just biting the bullet, doing a shorter schedule, trying to get back on your regular calendar as soon as possible. That's because as of right now, and this still could change depending on the state of vaccination around the world, the 2020 Olympics got pushed back here in 2021 in Tokyo, Japan. And, like, that's something that's a TV monster wherever it is, and, like, I don't know if you're the N NH- if you're the NHL the NBA. Do you really want to be competing with the Tokyo Olympics on TV wise? Because your ratings were already not great in the summer because people have things to do other than sit in front of the TV and watch sports. So, I think for me personally, I would tell Gary so "Look, let's play a shorter season. Sort of have geographically based travel. They get ourselves our calendar back on schedule and try and be back to normal dates by 2021, 2022. I think that's the way I would play it.
2: I see your logic there, but I think the concern that the owners have there is that they're, that they're going to be saying, well, wait a minute. We're hearing that from FDA that we could have this vaccine fully administered by middle of 2021 such so that we can, quote unquote, return to normal. So we don't want to lose that revenue. If we, if we can extend it to manipulate the schedule such that we're playing in July and we can have a sold out arena for the finals in the Stanley cup playoffs. Then we're going to do that because we want that revenue. And I think that's, that's really what's probably going on here. They're probably view eyeing that as the time where they can get everybody back. Yeah, I get, and, you know, have a sellout again.
0: Yeah. I get that motivation to get the gates open and get people in the buildings at the same time. You're looking at it like, your TV range is still going to take a massive, massive hit. And, like, this is not a sport where hockey's not made to be played in the middle of the summer, and neither is the NBA. Because, like, the NBA, you're also going to have people, like, saying, you're competing with the T- Tokyo Olympics. All the players are going to go, go want to play in, in Tokyo next year. I get, obviously, they have contracts. They're playing in the playoffs. They can't. But, like, there's something I could say, you know what, like, let's try and, you know, maybe go January to early July. That way they can get out instead of, like, you know, going January to early. Or late August again.
2: Yeah, I think that the leagues are going to prohibit their guys from playing in the Olympics, to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm still not even sure the Olympics are going to happen. Uh, and and I don't like to say that because I, I like the Olympics, but I, is, are we going to be in a position to have athletes traveling from all different countries and congregating in the same spot? I don't know. I don't know if that's... So I'm not sure if there's going to be an Olympics. Yeah. But, uh, but if there is, I don't think the NBA is going to let their guys go.
0: Yeah, I don't think the NHL would care either, because I know the NHL has a future problem with the Olympics. I think it's 2022 is their Olympic problem. But, like, right now, I think, like, I get, like, they're always like, hey, we'll go. But, like, they also have the TV issue with NBC, because NBC carries their games, and NBC carries the Olympics. So if both are going on, the NHL gets short shrift. That That's true.
2: Uh, the, from from the hockey perspective, they may have to worry about that. I think the NBA will... Would- Be happy to compete with
0: the Olympics. Yeah, and one other thing, obviously, you mentioned we talked a lot about the arenas, which is a big deal, and we know in the long term, the big market teams, the New York Rangers, the like Toronto Maple Leafs, they'll be fine. Pete has brought up a theory last week. I also get your take on this. Like, obviously, these teams in the smaller markets that rely on the gate a lot, they take a big hit here. Do you think that maybe down the line we'll see some of these markets and teams being forced to relocate if they can't recover from this? You think this could lead to a new wave of, wave of teams like moving to different markets to try and start over?
2: Yeah, I, I do. I think that's very possible uh, for the reasons you said. It's no, it's no secret that some teams are more profitable than others. So, so I'm not, I'm not sure how long those those uh, teams can. Expand this kind of revenue
0: loss. Yeah, we're not talking about the big markets. Like obviously, like the NHL example we talked about last week. Like the Carolina Hurricanes have always had trouble selling tickets in good times. Now they've taken their thing, their revenue down to like basically zilch on the ticket market. And then if they can't recover this in four or five years, maybe they're going to Quebec City or something. That's always possible. That's
2: yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, there's really not much else to say. I agree. Yeah, I think that teams like that are gonna have a very very hard time
0: yeah i think they are and like i think honestly i think the thing i think i'd be fascinated with discussions obviously the calendar because i think it's if they're going to insist on stretching out it's going to take them a few years to get back on their usual calendar i don't think there's motivation long term to switch to this while based on the ratings i just think it's a matter of trying to balance between okay how long do we ought to wait to get the fans in the arenas and recoup some of the money that way versus let's get back on our TV schedule because the TV raids are hurting. It's like you have to rob Peter, pay Paul. I think they're going to, I think they might be willing to sacrifice the TV to help the in stadium experience a little bit. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that's probably right. Uh, I mean, they, they got to get, they got to get gate revenues again. Uh, they work they, professional sports are built. Yeah. The TV is a big part, no doubt, but close the gate and, They've got to figure out a way to start getting the gate back once it's safe to do so. And uh, they're, you know, they're in a rush to do it.
0: Yeah, I think this is something that's also been an interesting point we've learned from this whole experience, that for a while they've been this theory about fans, oh, like, you're not going to have fans in arenas anymore, it's all going to be on television, and it's all going to be about, like, getting 3D experiences. This has showed us the fan model is not going anywhere. There are going to be fans in stadiums for a long time, and I think, obviously, it might help you bank, it get bang for your buck if you're a fan going in a couple of years you feel comfortable going because they've got to drop prices get people entice to go back into the stadiums into the arenas for a bit so I think if you were a ticket going fan at least once you get vaccinated you feel comfortable going you will have bargain opportunities be, being presented to you
2: yeah that, that that theory that the in-person sporting event was going to die has uh, been proven wrong I think people are going to flock back to the ballparks and arenas once it's safe uh so from that standpoint the league's probably happy about that but they're going to get fans back in seats uh and, and that's what it's going to happen and you know what, what else is probably going to help is you're gonna have a lot of people in these new flexible or remote type work schedules so that should allow them to probably get to more games, you know, more of those Tuesday night games against the Baltimore Orioles. You may have some more fans there.
0: Yeah, because now you have to worry about. Oh, I have to be at the office by eight o'clock because I have to. I can't go to the game then. It's like I can go to the game. I just wake up at at seven thirty, take a shower, and I'm ready to go to my virtual work.
2: Yep. So I think that may actually bode well for them too. Uh, but right. but we'll see. But certainly, I I agree that you're not at a position where people are going to stop going to sports games because they want to watch it on TV. That's not happening.
0: Yeah, it's not. And the last one I want to go to today is obviously a sport that's coming back soon, which I think a lot of people are going to start watching because once the MLB playoffs end, you're not going to have any nightly sports for a bit. College basketball is coming back at the end of November. I think it's going to be very welcome sight for people who are basically, because football only plays on the weekend, so you're going to have like nothing other than college basketball for a solid month and a half, maybe more. I think obviously the plans are announced. The start days on November twenty-fifth. They recommend a minimum of four non-conference games. The NCAA did. You have to play at least thirteen games to get into the tournament. One of the things interesting, interesting idea here is that the bubble, the NBA popular made popular. Obviously the college team's not going to do it for full seasons, but some of these event organizers, like the, the multi-team events, like the Champions Classic, all of ESPN's like many multi-events, like the Jimmy V Classic, preseason NIT. Well, they talk about putting these teams into bubbles. So, like, ESPNs bring bringing their events to the NBA bubble down in Orlando to, like, sort of take advantage of that setup they have there. Opportunity here to bring teams into controlled environments, let them play a lot of games, potentially non-conference, not having to travel as much. Otherwise, they think the travel will be very regional. What do you think about that idea?
2: I'm not sure I completely understand. How, how do you set up a bubble with college kids? Don't they have to go to class?
0: Well, the class... Is- or
2: is, it, or is the, the idea that this is going to be done over winter break?
0: Well, basically what's happening here is Kevin Willer from Seton Hall's point out, this is sort of the golden window period where like, a lot of these conferences, remember, moved up their classes to finish up a semester by Thanksgiving to avoid bringing their students back after second wave. So a lot of these kids are not going to have class in at least the non-conference portion of the schedule.
2: Got it. Okay. Uh, So then, then yeah, I think that, look, uh, my opinion on college sports being played during this is, I've aired it out on your podcast before. I don't think it's right. I don't think they should be played because these are not compensated athletes. These are student athletes. And like I said, uh, if the rest of the student body is under restrictions uh, so much as to, as I'm sure you've seen, people have been expelled from school for violating social distancing rules, then I don't understand why student athletes are treated differently. Now, that's a different story. But if they are going to play, then I think that that bubble concept does make a lot of sense uh, to do that with some of those Jimmy V classics and those types of, uh, I guess tournaments is the right word.
0: Yeah, that's true. The NCAA today, again, they released guidance that they want like athletes to be tested three times a week. They can't be tested on consecutive days. And the rapid test here, we've seen this in college football. It's why the, the, one of the things the big 10 was citing why they came back. Now, every league that canceled football all reverse course is not playing football. So the rapid test I feel like has been a game changer for college sports.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, it certainly helps. Uh, but, but again, you, you end up in a strange position where like, why, why are we using rapid tests on college athletes? Uh, aren't there other people who we could be using that on? Uh, we're not using them on the students. Right? We're using them on just the, the student athletes. It's, it's a little. I think it creates some complications, but uh, but as far as the feasibility and logistics, playing you know, the rapid test is a game changer.
0: It definitely is, and they are do appear to be planning to take advantage of the golden window that I mentioned before, that uh, Kevin Willard, seen Hall has brought up, like the idea that like, and I've been a part of this. I've worked at Iona College like during the winter breaks and. When they're when the students are gone, it's basically a bubble on your campus where it's just your athletes are there with your coaches. So like, this is a that's like a golden window for I think Rhode College will play a lot of their schedule where the students are there. I mean, the students are not there. The athletes are there. The coaches are there. You can keep them sort of coordinated on their campus and sort of play these games a lot of them. I think the Mac is planning to play about like nine about a significant portion of their, of their conference schedule while students are off campus. So. That's a golden window. I think college basketball would be fool is not taking advantage of it. They were insisting on playing games.
2: I didn't put two and two together until you just said it, but yeah, that, that works out actually perfectly. The, the campuses themselves become isolated, like you said, so uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, and you can probably get a fair number of games in if you do it that way. So uh, so look, I, and to track, I think that there was a misconception early on that hey, it's not going to be feasible because everybody's gonna be sick and I think the testing has rendered it such that that's not the case It is feasible. it's just it comes down to you know it's just the right thing to do uh, because as we've seen, no matter how good your protocols are and how stringent your tests are. People are going to come up positive and you're going to spread it in in your community, especially with college sports. Uh, I mean, colleges are now hotbeds for COVID to the point where I've heard a lot of public health experts recommending that we just, just leave the kids there. Like don't, don't send them home because they're just going to spread the virus. So uh, I, I think that's, that's really the key. Is it, is it feasible to play? Yeah. Is it the right thing to do? I don't know. But this window, as you call it, golden window, makes it really, really helps. I think it uh, it makes it even more feasible, and probably it uh certainly makes it a lot safer in that you're not going to have student athletes transmitting the virus to you know the kid who they have to sit next to in history class.
0: Yeah, that's true, and obviously the last thing I want to talk to you about the college is obviously the NCAA turn, which they're going to run. We know this because financially the NCAA has to run it, otherwise the whole financial amount of college sports collapses on itself, so it's going to happen. I have to think, like we've seen all the other postseasons, I think they're going to turn like these regional sites into like basically like glorified bubbles, I think, once they get to March. Because I don't think we're going to have enough vaccine rolled out yet where we can safely bring in all of the fans into the buildings and whatnot. I think you're going to see what is sort of happening with baseball right now. It's easy to say, okay, you're going to this site for the first round. You're, you're going from your hotels to your arena and back. You're not doing any trips around the city. I think that's the easiest way to do it. I think once it gets to that point the NCAA handling testing at that point, because once it gets to postings the NCAA runs it, I think you're going to be get a full NCAA tournament. Boy, like Maybe a few minor teams, maybe the first four goes out of date and goes to the, a different site, but like I think this is going to be NCAA's bubble edition.
2: I I agree, and uh, and I think that there's a decent chance they're going to expand the tournament too. Uh, for the reason that you just said, revenue they they need the revenue. And kind of, you know, more games, the better, I guess. So so I agree. I think that that will serve as a bubble. And I think we may see an expanded tournament of ninety six or even one hundred twenty eight.
0: I, yeah, I could see that point. Like, I was thinking about it, but the counter I make is obviously it's logistically night a nightmare normally to just play that many teams around the country in these places. That like you're trying to do that in the middle of a pandemic. I think it's it's asking a lot. I think they'd be stressed just to fill out the field as it is.
2: Maybe uh, I think, but I think that's the kind of thing that they're gonna kind of decide on the fly. Probably see how they're doing, see how we're doing with the virus and the vaccine go from there, uh, but you know what, what, the vaccine is going to be very interesting because we'll, we'll see uh, when it gets comes out, is it approved, and then how quickly can we get it uh, distributed and are people actually going to take it so I think that's uh, I think that'll all be very very interesting stuff and it's it's really hard to predict right now if, uh, what's going to happen
0: Yeah, this is something I think I point directly to the president's efforts to downplay the virus. And this is sort of a big problem, I think, down the line, because you have a lot of people out there who are not going to trust the scientists because they're going to feel that the White House is pressuring them to get this vaccine out and make sure that there's something out there. They're not going to believe the scientists say it's safe. I think that's going to be a future problem we're going to have, because Evolve is not taking the virus seriously and we have to get back to normal. Somebody might look at this thing and say, you know what, like, I don't trust that the vaccine's actually safe. I'm just gonna tr- I'm gonna say the president wants them to get this vaccine out so he can boost his chance of being elected.
2: Well, I don't know if you saw, but uh, this week actually a poll came out uh, that, and I think it was about fifty percent of people said that they'd take the vaccine. Uh, that's that's not enough. That's I think we really need it closer to seventy-five. So hopefully that. That changes, uh, but but yeah, there's a lot of people who are worried that it's it's kind of a uh, it's interesting because it's kind of kind of got people on both sides, right? So you've got people on the Trump side who say, oh, "Why would I get vaccinated for this thing? It's not even a big deal. It's a hoax, made up, etc." It's the flu, and then you've got right, and then you've got people on the other side, the anti-Trump people, who say, "Well, I don't trust this vaccine because I think Trump is just." Telling the FDA to approve anything. So, uh, so if I were a sports league, I wouldn't bank on the vaccine being the miracle cure because I just don't know if uh, enough people are going to take it.
0: It's certainly a future discussion worth watching. with Phil, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, happy to pop on whenever and uh, looking forward to getting on for NFL picks
0: at some point. Yep, I'll do that in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, Phil. Thank you. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guests. First up, Justin Diaz and Dan for taking part in the Jet Giant debate. I'm still happy I won that debate, but is it really a win when the Jets are that bad that it's going to be such a disaster for us to come back from? I don't know. Not, not feeling great about that win, but it is still a win for me, which I'm not going to get many of out of the Jets anyway. I also want to thank Martino Apuccio for coming out and talk about the NBA Finals. Will Smith doing the NFL picks and our legal correspondent, Phil Fryer, you just heard, talking about some of the issues with the winter sports going forward as they look to get back closer to normal next year. As you're still waiting to get out of this pandemic, if you want more stuff like this podcast, including my preview of the French Open, which began this week, began on Sunday over at Roland Garros. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Amazon, and a bunch of new audiences as well. New podcast apps to catch it up on. Church, search for Just and the Suffering, on your favorite podcast. You'll find it there. Subscribe. Check out our old episodes. Leave some feedback and starring as well. they help make the podcast even better going forward. Help it get into the ears of new audiences. That'll be a lot of fun. I want to get more people in this conversation, so please do that. Please do that. Subscribe and share. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S 31. Alright, and that will do for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're gonna get into the MLB playoffs a bit, Bronze Division series, NFL picks, and more. Until then, a better week than New York football fans. This has been the Just End the
1: Suffering Podcast.
2: I'm out.